0: Uh, to see all that God is doing. We were out on the streets last week with a thing called the turning. You may have heard of it. I'm not going to go into it. If you haven't, look it up on the internet. We went out on the streets for seven mornings in Alpington, for an hour, just an hour, on the streets. And in that that seven hours, we saw, I think it's 78 people, make commitments to Christ on the streets just in Alpington. Um, And it's amazing what God is doing. Across London, it happened across London. uh, In those seven hours, there were 1,144 people that made commitments to Christ on the streets. So look up the turning. You might want to do it here. Um, Now, all those people have got to be followed up. The key to it is worship the night before, soaking in the presence of Jesus, out on the streets the next morning with a particular formula that uh, God seems to have anointed for this particular period of time and that's fine and then following up these people so I followed up one this week I've got another one this week to follow up the idea is you contact them you say fancy a coffee sit and talk to them about coffee say you know you prayed this prayer how are you doing what's it about you don't say you must be in church you work towards that so you say to them you know can we do some discipleship that we do a discipleship with them so you know, you kind of get them to make the commitment, then you follow it up to make sure it was genuine, to make sure they know what they are, understood what they were praying, etc., etc. Anyway, that's that. How long you got this morning? This guy knows me too well. While we were worshiping, I just felt a couple of things that God said to me that I just want to share before we go any further. One, I just had this word: "overlooked." And I think there's at least one person, specifically one person, that you've always felt overlooked. So for example, at school maybe, when teams were being picked, you'd be the one that was left over. And the teacher would have to say, oh, well, you go in that team. And you've lived your life thinking like that and feeling like that, that you are overlooked. And it's actually not helped your relationship with God because you think, well, you know, God, won't look at me particularly or choose me for anything i know i'm a christian i know i love jesus but i'm not going to be any use and i just feel what god wants to say to you this morning is he has not overlooked you in fact he specifically targeted you and chose you to be on his team he wants you and so he chose you very specifically for a purpose and god wants you to forget the past and what other people have done or said, and give yourself to the fact that he chose you for purpose. And if you need to be prayed for afterwards, come and see us, or well, someone in the team, and we'll pray for you. The other thing was that I felt there's somebody here has got to make a decision, and you've got more than one choice. You're not sure where to go with it. And I think the Lord would say this to you, where is your heart? that's the key to your decision where is your heart and if you say well it's for you lord i i want to do what you want me to do i i'm here to serve you that's the key to the decision because then the scripture says this he will give you the desire of your heart that only comes if your heart's in the right place not your natural heart that wants things but if your heart is saying I want to do what God wants, then the decision would be easier because you can choose what you want to do because your heart's in the right place. God will give you the desire of your hearts. And then I think there's someone else who is troubled by your past. It's things in your past that constantly trouble you. And kind of sideline you because you say if people knew that they'd never make the journey with me any further. God wants to say to you this that it's Satan who reminds you about your past. God never does that because if you're in Christ your past is gone and it's like God sitting in heaven when you're being reminded of your past and he's saying what are you talking about? got that, God's got the ability to forget. You say, God's God, he forgets anything. Well, if he chooses to, he does. And he's choosing to forget your sin. Your past is gone. It's no longer relevant to you. And I I just felt that um, the other thing was, when Satan... Reminds you, which he will do all the time, as you know, about your past, just remember to remind him about his future. So, you cannot remind me about my past, let me just remind you. Anyway, we'll leave that. I'm going to, um, it's interesting that whenever you get up to preach, the worship is important before it. And it's interesting that I've, I've found this happens all the time. The worship confirms the word. Because things have been said, scriptures have been read, songs have been sung. I'm thinking, wow, you know, it's like God's setting you up. And uh, that's great, isn't it? Because that means we're being led by the Spirit. I want to speak from a couple of verses or a couple of passages, really, in Acts chapter 2. And they'll be well known to most of us here. Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. A wonderful description of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone that had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And in Acts 4, 32 and 33. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. I'm sure, like me, you get excited when you read that Passage, you think, wow, this is exciting. And you can read the whole of the book of Acts and get really excited about it, like reading a good novel. You read a good novel, you can't put it down. This passage is in Acts, are a bit like that. You think, goodness me, this is phenomenal stuff. I'm glad I'm reading about this. Uh, it sounds like an amazing adventure. I wish I could be part of it. Well, you are. Because it isn't, a story, it's a reality. It actually happened and is still happening. And if you're in the church, you're part of the adventure. It's not just a story. You're in the story. And personally, I know that uh, I've made it my life's work, really, I guess, to uh, see the church living in the good of these passages. I've got a real desire to see the church functioning as they did in the Acts of the Apostles. So I want to encourage you and remind you this morning, because I'm sure a lot of the stuff I'm going to say has been said already. Sometimes visiting preachers can say things that the local pastor didn't say. (laughs) And then I can walk away and say, see you later. (laughs) So here we've got three things that I want to, Briefly hit this morning. The gathered people, an equipped people, and a released people. A gathered people, an equipped people, and a released people. It says in verse 44 of that passage in Acts 4, all the believers were together. There used to be an advert on the television that you probably don't remember. I, mean, I don't know how many years ago it was. And the guy at the end of it, I don't even know what it was for now. And he just said, well, I want to be together. Anyone remember that ever? I want to be, we want to be together. Well, I didn't think you would, but there you go. And when it says the believers were together, they were gathered together, it wasn't just that they were meeting in one place, although they were. It's not like a crowd at a, sorry, football match. Or at a music concert. It's about being joined together on mission. They were together with purpose. They were all involved in something together. It's a lifestyle gathering. It's a calling. Together speaks of same heart and purpose. Acts 4.32 All the believers were one in heart and mind. They had this same common aim and goal. And that was to serve the kingdom of God and the purpose of Jesus Christ. What a privilege that is. And sometimes I think we don't give much acclaim, as it were, to the privilege it is to be involved in the church of Jesus Christ. I think here's the maker of the universe gathering people together to serve him. And we think, wow. That's extraordinary. You know, it's like getting, it's, you, Can you imagine getting a letter from the Queen saying, I'd like you to come to the palace and join my team. And you think, what? Where did that come from? You, you would be there quickly, I would suspect. I don't know about the pay, but you'd be there quickly just for the privilege. And the fact you could boast it, you could say, guess what I do? I, I work in Buckingham Palace and I serve the Queen. A few months ago, there was a guy in Buckingham Palace taking a desk apart, and he was under the desk undoing the bolts. And suddenly, a voice said, "I say, excuse me, would you like a cup of tea?" He said, "Oh, yeah, please, miss, um, two two sugars." Carried on. Uh, he didn't realise that it was the Queen. <laughs> what a privilege, folks! We've been invited by the King of Glory to be involved in building his church. Wow! A forget the Queen. <laughs> queen Victoria once said, I can't wait for the day when I see my Saviour and I take my crown off and lay at his feet. Wow! She saw it. Great a privilege to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are gathered together unto Jesus. We are gathered together to one another. We are members of the body of Christ. We belong to one another. We're gathered together to worship. We're gathered together to pray. We're gathered together to be taught and understand the word of God. And it says in that passage in Acts 2 verse 42, at the beginning they devoted themselves wholeheartedly. That's what that word means. Devoted means you give yourself to. And God wants us to be a people who are not on the peripheral Of church, but we are devoted to it. Devoted to one another, devoted to the teaching, the fellowship. That word fellowship is a Greek word koinonia, it means sharing together in partnership, and there's another word for it. In fact, uh, in Philippians, uh, Paul uses the same word and it's translated partnership. And he says to the church in Philippi, I thank my God for your partnership in the gospel, your fellowship in the gospel. You are part of it with me. It's not Paul the Apostle doing it, or it's us together doing it. We are God's chosen people. We are gathered together for purpose. The body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but all its parts should be and have equal concern for one another. There's a quote here by a guy called N.T. Wright, who's uh, written a lot of... uh, commentaries, really good stuff. This is what he says. The church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes, to worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. The church also exists for a third purpose, which serves the other two, to encourage one another, to build one another up in the faith, to pray with and for one another, to learn from one another, to teach one another, and to set one another examples to follow. Challenges to take up, urgent tasks to perform. This is all part of what we loosely call fellowship. That's our calling, brothers and sisters, this morning. One of the other things that we're gathered to is to pray, and Ben's already mentioned that this morning. So I just want to lay an emphasis on that. Prayer is the key. We say, well, God does what he wants to do. Well, of course he does. But he does it through us, and he says, it's not going to be automatic. I want you to get the vision, and I want you to pray it in. We have to pray it in. In other words, whenever you're going to grow something, it takes hard work. You've got to dig the ground up. You've got to prepare it. You've got to put the seed in. You don't just stand there and say, well, thank you, Lord. You're going to grow this. No, you have to do the work. It's part of what we're called to do. Prayer is like digging the ground and putting the seeds in. That's prayer. We pray things into being. If we don't pray, we won't see. That's the key. No, Satan loves to stop us praying. Because actually, if anyone finds prayer easy, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, because I don't know what I'd do if you did. I think we'd better take over then. Prayer is not easy. It's a task that we have to perform, because we love Jesus and we want to communicate with him gets easier as the time goes on and the relationship with him develops and still we can't not be with him I remember when I first met my wife she was just in the church and I took a little bit of interest but nothing too much but then one day I looked at her and I thought Gee, you're not bad actually um and I can remember my dad ran the youth group and I'm Eunice used to come along and uh, make the teas and coffees and whatever else and uh after that particular evening, my dad said to you, oh, when you're cleared up, I'll take you home. And I said, no, you won't, I will. And I went, where did that come from? And he looked at me and said, what? <laughs> and uh, that was the beginning of something different. And I found after that, I, I, couldn't, I wanted to be with her all the time. So I met her. But you know what I mean? There was something happened that changed. When you come to Christ and you start to learn to pray, something happens. You think, I don't want to not be with him and with his people, and I want to pray. In Acts 4, it says they prayed. It says after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spake the word of God boldly. Certainly in Alpington in at the moment, we've got this sense that God is stirring us to build in a 24-7 prayer vision. And that came from reading a book by a guy called Pete Gregg called Dirty Glory. If you haven't read it, get it. We bought loads of them and given them out to the church to read because it stirs your heart and it will change your life if you read that book. So we're beginning to put that into operation, developing that, that prayer life. Let me encourage you, read the book and see what it does to you. This is one of the quotes from it. We are qualified for Christian service by our praying, not our preaching. By our desire to worship him and not our workload on his behalf. By knowing Jesus personally and not just by knowing a lot of interesting things about him. If you lose God's presence, you lose everything. But if you know his presence, you already have everything you will ever have needed. And I was sitting there this morning and I got a sense in my spirit and it was this. Harlow is ready to fall. Harlow is ready to fall. So what do you do about that? You pray. And say, show us, Lord, how we can catch the bricks. Because <laughs> there's a lot of bricks out there that are going to just need you to catch them and bring them in. So you need, you need to pray and say, God, show us how. How are we going to do this? How are we going to catch these people? They're out there. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. I'll move on because there's lots of other stuff you could say in that first passage that we could look at, but that was the things, those what I've mentioned are the things I felt God said to do. Equipped was the next thing. Gathered, equipped. Um, Again, in that passage, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Again, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? Well, it was the fulfillment of all Old Testament scriptures coming alive through Christ and the apostles having to reteach the Jews about who this Jesus was, and that all the Old Testament, just Jesus was the fulfillment of it. And now, of course, we've got that teaching that Paul brought. That's the apostles' teaching. Most of the New Testament is the apostles' teaching. We need to get into that. Now, don't ignore the old, because the new fulfills the old. You need to know the old to understand the new. See what I mean? And vice versa. It's all the scripture is the scripture. But the apostles' teaching, we need to get into it, that we understand it, that it becomes part of us, in order that we can then serve effectively. Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what God wants for you. That's apostolic teaching. Apostolic teaching, that you may be built up as the body of Christ until you reach unity and full knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to that measure of the fullness of Christ. That is being equipped. And in that equipping, you will be able to be strong in faith, clear about who you are in God, Set free from your past and the lies of the enemy, knowing the truth that because it sets you free, recognizing the gifting in each other, and developing that gifting in enabling each member to be fully involved in the life of the church. That's what it will do. Group life is important. In order that you can build closer relationships and actually exercise your gifting in a smaller environment, that's why group life is important. Develop your gifting and your care for one another. God has put gifted people in place. In order to serve you, in order that you might grow and develop and become mature. That's what God gave the gifts to the church for. Not so that they could do it all, but so they could teach you how to do it all. So you get the evangelist. Let's have an evangelist in our church, then he can go out and save the lost. No, the evangelist will come to teach you how to go out. We've got a guy called Mike Springer who's part of New Frontiers, been around for years. He's coming to us next Saturday to teach us how we can reach our family, our friends, our work colleagues in order to reach that. He's an evangelist coming to equip the church to fulfill the gifting and the ministry to what we have been called to do. And then the purpose of being gathered, the purpose of being equipped is so that We can be released to do the things that God has called us to do. Ephesians 2. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I know what some people are thinking, well, that's someone else. No, it's not. It's you. And you think, well, I don't know what my good work is. Well, there's one way to find out. And that's to start serving. You know, I had someone come to me once and said, I've probably had several people in the past, as it happens, but I can think of one guy at the moment. He said, I believe God's called me to be a pastor. So I said, well, who's following you then? He said, nobody. I said, well, pastors have people who follow them. And naturally, if that's your calling, people will come to you. They will start to do that. But you've got to put yourself in a place where they... Know who you are by serving, by being around, by setting an example. Then they will come to you. And in the end, the gifting you've got will be recognized. And you'll be released into it. What you need to be doing, if you're not already, is to go to your leaders and say, Here I am. What can I do to serve? And they might say, "Come out on Sunday morning and put the chairs out." You know, I didn't mean that. Or refreshments. Refresh. Got this word from God. Refreshments. It's it's where you begin that matters. I'm not going to say who this is, but there's a there's a lady that I've been uh, spending some time with, not for any other reason than uh, she needs some. Uh, support and help at the moment, and uh, I've introduced her to a few people, and she's ca- started coming to church. She is full on for God. I mean, you sometimes it's a bit. All you, right, you th- uh, she's full on for God, this lady, and she's been through some rough stuff, but she's full on for God. She just doesn't know where to go next. So I said, "Well, why don't you come to uh, our church for a while? I won't be there, but you can come." So she's there this morning. But she came a few weeks ago just to kind of have a look at us. And uh, after the meeting, she's walking around picking up rubbish off the floor. I said, what are you doing? She I'll oh, just help me to clear I said, you're a visitor. But she can't help it because she's got a serving heart. She doesn't care what she does. She just do it. Now, I notice that when I see people doing that sort of thing, I think I could ask them to do something else because they clearly have got a heart to serve. That's the key to being released into your gifting is just finding a thing to do again people will say i want to be a leader and again i've had people say that to me and i've said to them if you're a leader you know what you do the first thing you do take initiative that's what leaders do they take initiative and what does that mean it means anything you might be walking around and thinking that needs doing that needs doing that needs doing And you take initiative. Small things, but you're actually being a leader. You are seeing what needs to be done and doing it. That's leadership. There's a lady in the church who's suffered horrendously from domestic abuse in the past, and God's brought right through it. Long story, but she's totally free. And she's been working for a thing called Women's Aid. You may have heard of that. And she runs the courses for them. And she got to the place where she said, I can't do what I want to do doing that because I can't share my story I'm not allowed to, she said, although I do. And I, at the end of the course, that's it. They're gone. And I can't just drop these women. They need support and help. So I said, well, why don't you set it up here and do it from here? Then you can do what you like. So last Sunday, I got her up when I was speaking, and I said, this is Naomi. She's going to start this course. And when we'd been talking over the weeks, she said, oh, I saw this person. I've gone to that person. I've been here. I've spoken to them. I've got six people already who want to do it. I thought, there's a leader. And brought her up. I thought, this lady is a leader because she's taking initiative. And we've recognized the initiative. We've recognized the heart. We want now to release her. And I believe that in the releasing of her, the kingdom of God is going to be built because she's going to bring people to Jesus. She's already done that anyway in the past, but that's what's going to happen. Now, she will need proper covering. She's a single mum on her own now. So the, wife, the elders' wives are going to spend time with her, support her, cover her in all that she's doing, so that she's protected herself from her vulnerabilities. That's what we're looking for in the church, people who are leaders. I can remember a leader coming to us once and speaking, and he said, you know what, you're all leaders? And there's a sense in which that's true you know about be a leader up front, but you can be a leader in your community. You can be a leader in your family. You can be a leader in your workplace. You can lead. The Bible talks about us being the head, not the tail. You know, we wag the tail, not the tail wags us. We take the initiative. We're the ones, because we're in Christ and we have his spirit living in us. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Each of you should do use whatever gift you have received to serve others as a faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. And whether you think it or not, you will have a gift. And it may be just a gift of encouragement. It may be just a gift of making sure that the leaders are free to get on with Sunday morning. We're having to worry about all the things around. You don't understand what a great release that will be to them. I mean, I've been in that place where we met in schools, and I remember when we grew in, in Enfield, when we grew in Enfield to a certain size, uh, not nothing like it is now, of course, but when I was there and so we started it off, the day came when a group of people came up to me, looking really kind of, you know, well, like, what have I done now? And they said, what are you doing? I said, I'm putting the chairs out. No, you're not. We are putting the chairs out. Now you need to concentrate on getting out the back and thinking about your preach this morning. And I I thought, thank you, Jesus. It's got to the point now where other people are releasing me by doing what I was doing, in order that I might do the thing that really God has called me to do. So our gifting, our serving can release others. And that's even more important, in a sense, than. Anything else? 1 Corinthians 12, famous. Again, you know these passages. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. God has placed the church in the church. Firstly, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, workers of miracles, gifts of healing, helps, guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Well, notice the word helps is in there. And you think, well, I'm not sure I want that one. I don't mind the uh, gift of healing. And uh, what about prophet and evangelist? I'd love those. but helps." Actually, the gift of helps is administration, really, administrating in order that those other gifts can be released. Do all teach? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Just eagerly desire the greater gifts. So God wants to release everybody in this room into their gifting, into their ministry, and in your being released, you will release others. And I think to me that's one of the key things that if I'm doing what I'm called to do, I'm releasing other people to be called what they're released to do what they're called to do. And that is amazing. That's a great privilege. Eagerly desire the gifts released, maybe, to go church planting somewhere else. Maybe to the nations, maybe just to the local community. But whatever, released to fulfill what God has put on his heart and equipped you to do. I just, at the back before, I was just uh, looking at the bookstore and suddenly realized Nigel Ring's written a book called Discover and Serve. So grab a copy, it'll help you in that process. And I think you've been through it already, but uh, feeding 5,000 is no picnic. (laughs) But it was amazing. But it needed administration. And Nigel Ring has not just written the book. I've worked very closely with Nigel over many years, up until a few years ago. Very closely. And he is a classic example of serving to release others' to fulfill their ministry, particularly Terry Virgo. He served Terry in order that Terry could do everything that he was called to do. And when we planted Enfield Church, he met up with me to talk about how we were going to finance it and all that sort of thing. And he sat there and he said, "Cool, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Because he wanted to be faithful with God's steward of God's money. Uh, And I said, well, this is London, not Brighton. He said, I know Brighton's expensive, but London's even more so. And in the end, he ended up increasing the amount of money they gave us for the first couple of years of the church plant because he wanted to make sure I was released to do the job. Faithful administrator. So is he not just teaching about it? He's a classic example of someone who serves willingly in order to see others released into their gifting. Can we stand together? I'm going to ask you a question. Are you up for this adventure this morning? You can put your hand up. Good. Bill Johnson, who's heard of him? Right. This is what he says Royalty is your identity, servanthood is your assignment. Intimacy with God is your life source. I, I, I couldn't say it better myself. That's an amazing quote. Loyalty is your identity. Servanthood is your assignment. Intimacy with God is your life source. So I'm going to charge you with this scripture from 1 Corinthians 15. So I want you to shut your eyes, put your hands in the air, Because what you're doing here is you're saying, God, here I am. I've said I'm up for this. Here's the charge. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Lord, I, just, I thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. Thank you for the challenges that you give us at times. Pray right now, Lord, that you will cause this people to be engaged in everything that you've called them to. These people whose identity is royalty. Sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who've been sent by him on assignment to be servants. And whose amazing call is to be intimate with God so that he's our life source. In Jesus' name. Amen.